Hey, everybody. Oh, uh, welcome to uh, this week's Steering Live. Uh, That's going to be a fun one. This week we have, it's your chance to ask anything, any burning question you have to to our panel here, our, um, banjos or even even more. And our, our panel consists of, of, of Jamie Deering, Chad Kapodic, and Jamie Laddie. So uh, all of you all uh, introduce yourself and, and, and talk about uh, what you do at Deering. You want me to? All right, I'll Maybe go first. Uh, so I'm Jamie Deering. I am the CEO of Deering Banjo Company. I that that list of what I do would be pretty long. So <laughs> I guess I, I keep the show moving forward with the help of an amazing team. It's a good summary. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I'm uh, Chad Kapodic. I'm the Deering Master Builder now, uh, taking over doing all the custom work as well as working in the. Uh, on the high end necks coming through, uh, been here for 25 years and, uh, kind of help out with quality control and overall construction of the banjos. It's good to meet you, Chad. Oh, it's a pleasure. How you doing? I'm Jamie. I'm the COO. Uh, I look after all things sales and marketing and generally try and support Jamie and, and everybody else on the team day to day. Um, also kind of sometime co-host of Deering Live. And uh, it's everyone looks great. The whole audience looks wonderful. It's great to see you all. <laughs> Terrible jokes. <laughs> well, we were talking a little bit about before we started about what people, what y'all have been listening to lately. So uh, <laughs> just to get it going, why don't uh, Jamie Daring? Why don't you tell us what what are your musical tastes re- of re- of late? You know. I should have kept my mouth shut. So (laughs) (laughs) of late, I have been known to be listening to the disco station on Pandora, especially when I'm cleaning my house because it gets me moving. (laughs) That or the 80s station, of course. And then when I'm in a more soulful mood, I put on the Amy Winehouse station that goes back to a lot of amazing soul music. So that's my wide range. In my car, I usually have Bananarama. Anyone know that band? <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's it way back. Actually, right now I have Nefesh Mountain. That's I got what's on CD, the parking lot yeah. when you pull up in the morning. <laughs> Bananarama, huh? Sometimes, yes. <laughs> Little things no one really knew about me. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Chad? What have you been listening to? Uh, lately, I've been going way back to the, uh, the Whalen and, and uh, Outlaw Country Days. Oh, nice. Getting some good old school flat picking in. It's uh, it's been good. It's nice lesson too while you're putting the banjos together. Yeah. What about you, Laddie? Uh, Jamie. Um, <laughs> the uh, <laughs> it depends if I'm driving or if I'm at work. If I'm driving right now, I'm on a big kick of the Mars Volta, which is mm. pretty progressive, kind of Hispanic rock type thing it's really cool i like it it gets me fired up but when i'm here lately i've been listening to the new baylor album a ton uh and also west corbett's album mm. it's really good yeah. really really enjoying that right now those are my two heavy rotations on office time spotify right now very nice um another little question to get things going more for chat and jamie jamie laddie um what are your what's your favorite thing about working at Deering? I mean, Chad, you've been there for what, twenty years or twenty-five years? Twenty-five now. Twenty-five. Yeah. Uh, what's my favorite thing? Honestly, uh, it's going out 
and and seeing shows where where the banjos featured, uh, as well as seeing uh, just random customers come up and and tell me that they play the banjo and they really enjoy it because that gives a whole meaning to what we're doing here uh, aside from the day-to-day grind of just making things you know it turns it into an instrument as opposed yeah. to parts of an instrument that we're putting together so that that satisfaction of seeing it actually used in the real world is uh so it kind of keeps me going nice yeah. yeah i think i would agree with that actually um going out to like Melfest uh and other festivals it's just um kind of put faces to the owners and the people like creating the music um, which is really far more satisfying than, than just kind of seeing them leave the, the shipping bay and then never really knowing what happens to them, right? It just kind of humanizes the whole thing. Yeah. It's really cool. Um, and also the fact that it's, it's a smaller company. You know, we're not, you know, this giant conglomerate type situation. Like we're, we're a family-run business. There's about 43? Yeah. 41 right now. 41 of us right now. Um, and that's it. Like there's, there's no like massive red tape of huge departments to run through and all that kind of stuff. Like we can figure things out pretty easy and, and get to work with good people like the, these guys and, and Dave and Jonathan and it's all, it's all cool. Yeah. yeah. It's fun. Definitely. Well, Jamie Deering, what do you like to do in your free time um, when you're not, you know, running a, uh, a banjo company? Wow. Uh, in, in that free time that, that does exist um, occasionally, uh, I like to garden, actually, not as much as Jamie's wife, Shalise. She's like the master gardener in our town. Um, she's something to aspire that. to. But uh, yeah, I like refinishing furniture. I definitely grew up hands-on in the factory. So I learned all of those skills pretty early. So, you know, getting a beautiful piece and bringing it back to life is a lot of fun. During the holidays, I make wreaths for the family and friends have a rather large array of spray paint colors <laughs> for uh, pine cones. But <laughs> yeah, other than that, hiking whenever I can, which has not been enough lately. Yeah. What about you, Chad? What, do you, what are some of your hobbies? Uh, my hobbies? Well, uh, aside from camping, which I absolutely love being out in the middle of nowhere away from everything. Uh, my lovely girlfriend and I make wooden earrings uh, out of reclaimed banjo wood, uh, just kind of as a as a side gig to keep our imagination fresh. Uh, and uh, that's our our big kind of hobby on the side. They're really bad. They're coming soon to DaringBanjos.com. I was just going to say that we have we have some exclusive sets of earrings from the wooden ear. The wooden ear.com. If you'd like to DaringBanjos.com. <laughs> it's been it's been plug. a lot of fun yeah uh, do a little hand painting and uh take any anybody's request in an earring and make it happen nice <laughs> what about you jamie laddie uh i'm a dad so that's essentially my main hobby um and that takes up uh all the time in the world and it's great we're we're a big um uh rugby family right and we watch it my kids play it um for a local san diego club um i look after all the social media and email for our club as a volunteer on the side so a lot of times taken up with that and then just kind of you know diy and helping helping my wife out in the in the yard and grow stuff hopefully we have chickens, chickens. 
we have yeah, all kinds of stuff going on. So there's there's not a whole <laughs> lot of free time. And I, I play music <laughs> occasionally too. Not so much these days, but yeah. <laughs> Very good. Well, let's dive into some of the questions we got uh, from from our uh, our subscribers, our email, and and our list, our watchers of during live. So um, this this first one's for chat. I mean, every, everybody can answer, but I'm going to focus it to Chad. And it's about a broken neck, a common, not a common, but it can happen when somebody, when an accident happens. And so Tommy Gooden says, I was given a Boston six string after a death in the family and accidentally broke the neck in transit. My question is whether or not I could convert this banjo to a five string um, since that is what I once took lessons on. I would need a new neck strings, bridge, tuner, um, and possibly more. Is it possible for you to put together an estimate for parts like this? Can this be done, I, I would say? Well, of course. Yeah, we can make a, uh, a replacement five-string neck for it uh, and use basically just the rim, uh, the pot assembly, and the resonator on it. Uh, yeah, get a hold of us at uh, info at deeringbanjokes.com and uh, we'll get that sorted out for you. We have a wonderful repair guy, Sam, that does uh, excellent work doing that kind of stuff. So it's definitely possible. Off the top of my head, I have no idea what the cost would be, but Sam will take care of it for you. What are some of the things you'd have to, because it's a six string, they want to convert it to a five string. So what are some of the things they would have to um, look out for if they're you know trying to make a, a Boston six string turn into a Boston five string? Um, it'd be a pretty straightforward, uh, swap. There's not a whole lot of finagling that would be needed. A new tailpiece go from the six string to a five string tailpiece would be ideal. Um, depending on how old it is, maybe put a new head on it. And, uh, the tension hoop you'd have to change, correct? No, not necessarily. It would just, uh, the notch is different. At depending, the yeah, depending on the age of the instrument as to whether or not it has a notch for the strings to go through. Gotcha. Um, if it doesn't, then it doesn't really matter. Uh, we'd, we'd still, we'd just put the five string neck on it. Cool. The six string wouldn't have a bigger notch, but it wouldn't affect any of the playability or anything. Right. If you're going the other way, turning a five string to a six string, you right. might have. Right. Then you'd need bent hooks and a, the, you know, bigger slot for the strings. Uh, to pass through the tension hoop as well as a different tailpiece and all that again. Gotcha. So not a whole lot to worry about when swapping from a six to a five, but a five to a six is a, it's a bit more involved for sure. Right. Right. Um, and what about talking about that broken neck? Is there anything Chad or anybody when you're traveling with your banjo or just, you know, bringing it out of the house to protect it from, um, from breaking because they, they said that it was, they actually broke it in transit. I'm not sure how, but, uh, well, I guess maybe about flying would be the first thing. Any, any tips on flying with the banjo? Yeah, TSA is notorious for being ever so delicate with everybody's instruments. <laughs> Can I ask you and about that yeah. one? <laughs> um, one of the big suggestions, uh, is to support the peghead itself. Our, our, our cases that we have made that, uh, ship out with the Deering banjos, uh, have wedge supports that keep the peghead supported so there's not flopping around. Doesn't have a bunch of dead space around the peghead. Um, 
for that head to snap off if it was to take kind of an impact. Uh, if your case doesn't have those wedges, wrap it up in a T-shirt or a towel or something just to keep it nice and cushioned between the lid and the in interior of the case. Yeah, the other thing that we do uh, when we ship banjos new from the factory, um, and so if you're flying or maybe if you're um, relocating, you're traveling across the country like a fair distance, take some blue painter's tape or something like low adhesive tape and just cover the resonator screws. Um, what can happen if it's a, like a long haul uh, transit is that they can, the vibrations, they can work their way loose and then you've got a, a rogue screw kind of bouncing around on the inside of the case. So try and secure those down. Blue painter's tape is, is essentially what holds deering together. Yeah. We use it for, <laughs> we use it for everything. Um, and, and that's what we use when we, we ship new stuff out. So we, if you ever have a new banjo from us and you see the, the blue tape, that's what it's there for. Yeah. And to answer on the flying part, I would definitely say if at all possible, carry it on. Um, there's a few different tricks depending on what airline and if you know that the people who work that airline in your city are friendly. I know in San Diego, if you're doing Delta, they tend to be very friendly because some of the pilots are musicians. Sometimes they've even taken my instrument on for me when they see me holding it, which has been amazing. Um, and often the stewardesses will let you, if you ask very nicely, put your instrument in the first class closet if there's room. Uh, if you have a gig bag, you can sometimes wear it like a backpack and you're already on the flight before they realize you have it. And pretty much always I can get room in the overhead. So those are some of the successful tips for flying. Yeah, definitely. Flying, I definitely, you know, usually use a gig bag and bring it on and you can get into the yeah. overhead banjos. You can fit their guitars. Are, you know, are, are yeah. Even hard shell cases with banjos, not flight cases, but hard shell can fit in the overhead pretty commonly on the normal or large plane. Yeah. The other one last thing, I don't want to spend too long on the question, but it, the, the people underestimate the importance of a good case and good protection. It's kind of, it's an afterthought. Sometimes you can get a hard shell case for, 70 bucks from somewhere and it, it's not built for flying or for heavy impact at all um even if you have a, a good time banjo that, that may have a good a gig bag that's cool for the overhead never ever check it in on a flight with that bag and honestly don't check it in unless you've got a really robust case from a well-known uh manufacturer like a deering case or even an skb or TKL or somewhere along those lines. Or Carlton. That has a, you know, Carlton, Carl, yeah. Carlton is, is awesome, but they're, they're getting up there in price. Um, so there's many options. Just don't settle for the cheapest thinking it's going to provide the same amount of protection. It's, it's not, especially when the banjo is as heavy as it is. Yeah. Yes. Also, one, my last input. Uh, <laughs> God, I have the last <laughs> word, this guy. Yeah. Uh, is is if, you're, if you're putting your instrument in the trunk or in overhead, make sure it's face fingerboard side up and not fingerboard side down the fingerboard side down if it was to take a good bounce causes that whiplash that causes the peg head to fall off gotcha it's not the uh it's not the wood's fault but the uh the angle of the peg head and all that tension gets gets the good snap and it'll rip that peg head off so yeah right. yeah good advice yeah um, this next question, I'm going to take the lead on, but then y'all can definitely, everybody can, can uh, chime in on it. Um, it. 
So the question is from Chris. It says, it seems that a good number of professional banjo players today didn't start playing until their teens, some as a second instrument. Do you think that's coincidence, or do you think there's something about banjo that lends itself to a later start, hmm. unlike fiddle, for example? My almost two-year-old is showing a lot of interest in my Vega, and if the interest keeps up, I'd love for him to play someday. So also, if you've seen or heard about smooth ramp-ups to full-size banjos, like starting with the ukulele, kid size, good time, et cetera, I'd be interested to know. So for the, for the top half of that question, um, I would say, I mean, I, I started when I was 14, but it was my second instrument. I, I played piano first. And, um, uh, I, and I would say I could see how that's, that is, isn't a coincidence because it's not, a, the banjo isn't as mainstream as like a piano or, or other instruments. And so you might not be in my, my, my experience, my family wasn't around a banjo at all. Um, but my, my parents wanted us to have uh, music lessons. So we all took piano lessons. And then as I got a little older and had more exposure to different music and had more input on what I wanted to do with my time, um, I, you know, I started playing the banjo. I think that's that's a common occurrence, possibly a common occurrence there. Less the less the small, like if you're comparing it to fiddle, it's like the size of the hands. There's plenty of children that that are that do start playing even on full size instruments. That uh, um, that so I don't think it's a size thing. I think it's just a a possibly not being around the banjo in certain areas. Um, what do you, what do y'all think? And, and then also maybe talk about, you know, the different sizes of banjos that they, that's a small child can ramp up on. I can jump in first on, I think your, your uh, perspective is completely correct. Um, and to back that up a little bit more is like when we go to festivals in areas like where Merle Fest is in North Carolina, that's a region where banjo is very prominent and you will see it a lot at a younger age. So we see a lot of kids where that is their first instrument because they're exposed to it earlier. Um, so it is, has a lot to do with when you find it and when it really becomes accessible to have your hands on one. Yeah. I know one of the things that I struggled with when I did take uh, guitar lessons after high school was I have very short fingers and uh, learning bar chording and things like that was very difficult. Uh, but going on to banjo where you have four fingers and four strings to deal with, uh, fifth string is a drone string, so you're not really threading it a lot. It made made that transition real super easy, as well as the uh, nice open tuning that's used commonly on banjo, because you're not uh, having to do crazy super chords to get amazing sounds. This is true. Um, I think the, the question he asked was about kind of the sizes, right? And whether it's worth starting out on something like a banjo ukulele. You can, um, it depends on, on, I mean, if, if the child, I think is showing interest in a, for instance, a five string, I don't know if ukulele is a good, uh, step other than just put a stringed instrument in their hands. It's not going to give them the same, uh, effect as, you know, as a, as a five string, there's a number of, of shorter scale five strings out there. We offer the good time junior as part of our collection, which is a 17 fret, um, version of our good time open back. Um, and that's kind of where I go. That's my daughter's seven, no, eight. I'm sorry. She's eight. Um, and she's been playing for about a year. Um, 
and that's what she uses as well. And it's just the, the reach is just a little bit more, more comfortable, um, but she's getting that five string experience, and that's what she wanted to do. Um, if you want to, if they want to play tenor, if they want to play ukulele, then there's the dozens of different options uh, out there as well. But I would, I would make sure you're getting a smaller version of the full size instrument you're trying to play, and not just something like a uke or a tenor that just happens to be smaller because it won't be the same experience. Good answer. <laughs> it's weird having my boss right next to me. She's like. <laughs> We're just judging every little thing you say, so <laughs> don't worry about it. All right, Jamie Laddie and Jamie Deering, kind of focused towards you on this one. I recently ordered a Deering Clawgrass 2 banjo. I am interested to know if you are having any supply chain issues that impact your manufacturing process and what your order backlog for this banjo is at the present time. Thanks from Steve. Well... <laughs> yeah, I, start. I can, I can jump in. It's cool. Yes, I mean we're a small company, but we're we're certainly not um, immune to any of the the challenges that the world, uh, in particular, manufacturers have faced in the last uh, kind of eighteen months or so. Um, I want to take a quick moment to shout out Nathan, <laughs> who every single day Nathan's our purchaser, and every day I think for the last eighteen months or so. There's been something in his inbox that has caused a problem. We've been fortunate enough to not, I don't think we've run out of anything big time. A couple of things maybe, but nothing so drastic that we've had to completely redesign our, our lineup or anything like that. And we've, we've struggled and fought and clawed our way to making sure that we have what we have. <clears throat> and we paid over the odds for it to get it here, to keep building. There's been numerous challenges. Um, Jamie Deering will tell you about the challenges of, of COVID in general as it pertains to, uh, our employees and the proximity to one another and, and how that's kind of impacted uh, what we can and can't build and the timings and that kind of thing. But yeah, we've, we've been impacted just like everybody else and we are building more now than we were last year for sure. Um, but I don't know that we would have been able to do much more just from a standpoint of being able to get materials. Right. Um, and then you kind of couple that with the massive demand that we've had and we're, we're doing every single thing we can. Um, Karen, I'll, I'll come back in. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. We have since, I mean, we're, it's by no means just us or just the music industry. It's really every industry. We've been lucky enough being American made that a lot of our stuff hasn't been as affected. But even if it is an American product, some of where they get raw material from has been delayed. And that is where the slows happen. We early on worked so hard to increase what we were ordering because it was taking sometimes 10 times as long to get something that we have always ordered. And so we've had to incorporate that into how much and how often we get products like raw materials in. Um, we er, Last year, you know, with all the regulations on social distancing, we could not fit anyone else in the building. So we, even if we had the raw material, we could not have increased to then deliver more quickly. Though we wanted to, we couldn't. And then when that stopped being as much of an issue, uh, we couldn't get enough raw material in to stably increase. Um, so that's been definitely a challenge. And we've done as a team an amazing job of not running out so we can maintain what we're doing. Um, now we're just working on getting ahead of the curve to potentially be able to increase what we're doing. So that's 
Yeah. Yeah. And to, to the question on the gentleman with the clog rest who um, it, it's tricky because we have, you know, many of those on order right now through various wholesale, uh, sorry, retailers uh, around the country and probably the, the world. We don't know which one's yours. So what I would advise doing is either writing in info at DeeringBanjos.com or you can call us, um, ask for Andrew Pizzoli um, or David Vega. Um, tell us where you got it from um, and who you ordered it through. And we'll try and communicate with that dealer directly and try and figure out uh, where where you are in the line and try and give you a bit more of an accurate time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's the advice I would do. But thank you for your patience. Yeah. A lot. We're doing everything we can and then some to, to make sure we don't fall behind. So. Literally. Yes. <laughs> yeah. um, this next question is in the chat here from Nico. Uh, uh, Maybe Chad take it first off, but but everybody can definitely talk about this one. Um, I have this beautiful white lotus banjo. Whoop, it just bounced down. Um, there is no tone ring. I cannot hear the difference between a banjo with or without a tone ring. How is that possible? So maybe talk about, you know, the tone of the white lotus and then maybe mention the talk about, you know, the different tone rings we, we do produce and what you might hear. Uh, the white lotus is kind of a cool anomaly. Uh, it's a solid white oak instrument, so even the rim construction is three plies of, of white oak uh, with no tone ring on it. And when we first started looking at white oak as a possible tone wood, um, we put a tone ring on it, and I've, it was like two cats fighting in in the back alley. It was <laughs> it was atrocious <laughs> having a, a tone ring on on the oak. Uh, was just disastrous. So we took the tone ring off and tried it just on the wood itself, and it was amazing how much punch and vibrance the wood had. Uh, it still had kind of a warm uh, wood sound, but just this loud crunch to it that you normally don't get off of wood. Right. Um, so that's why the white oak, white lotus banjo doesn't have the uh, the tone ring on it. But we do, you know, have quite a variety of tone rings. The uh, Eagle 2010 tone ring mm-hmm. uh, is a really amazing tone ring that has gone over extremely well. That was introduced in 2010, yeah. believe it or not. Shocker. <laughs> it's weird, right? And that's made of? That's uh, made of solid brass. Okay. Uh, it's, a, I believe, a quarter-inch thick uh, band of brass. That is very snugly uh, fit to the three plies of violin grade soft maple on the rim. Look at him with those specs. Yeah, <laughs> sales and marketing job over here. <laughs> so good. Uh, that one's gone over really well. It's been very popular because it's a nice mix between uh, a bluegrass instrument, which is really bright and twangy, and a more kind of classical instrument that's a little softer on the tones. Yeah, and uh, lighter. It's yeah. a little lighter than the traditional bluegrass tone ring. Yeah, it doesn't. Uh, the tone ring itself is lighter, and the flange construction is a bit lighter. So you knock off a good about three pounds or so. Yeah, I think they come in around nine, nine and a half mm-hmm. pounds, something like that, compared to like a Sierra, which it's 13, 14. Yeah, pounds, somewhere yeah. in that that realm. Yeah. Uh, Les Paul weight. Yeah. <laughs> the guitar, not the man. Right. <laughs> That's a good one. My my favorite tone ring is the uh, Vega Tubaphone tone oh, ring. Yeah. Uh, going back to the very old school classic construction, that thing has uh, just an amazing old timey kind of sound. Mm-hmm. Good vibrance and punch, but uh, warm and mellow. Um, and then we have our famous 20 hole 06 tone ring, 
developed in 06. <laughs> with the We're help, really good at naming we're stuff. We're so good. <laughs> with the help of uh, Jens Kruger and Greg Daring really worked on that. Uh, had some input from other artists as well to really find that optimum weight and uh, shape that really helped bring out the bluegrass sound and uh, the versatility of the banjo, I think, overall. Uh, because it it really developed into nice mid range response as well as a nice high response to it, um, and then we have the Hartford uh, Grenadillo tone ring, another one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. uh, that one is is just amazing at the mid range and low end, and bringing that to the forefront and kind of mellowing out the high ends. Um, yeah. More for a kind of flat picking, folky style. Yeah. yeah. Claw hammer, yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I don't know. Well, we have the, the, the Dobson. I was going to say. Oh, that's yeah, right. The new one. Oh. We're not used to talking about the Dobson <laughs> yet. <laughs> yeah, that's a spun shell of uh, brass mm -hmm. that uh, is fit over a 12-inch rim. Uh, nice thin wall construction. And it... Uh, has kind of this cool, fuzzy, reverby kind of tone to it. Sounds like you're listening to an old record. Yeah, it's definitely got that old sound. Yeah. Yeah. And Vegas Senator Tone Ring. Oh, yes. Much like the Dobson is a spun, spun brass shell with a little brass rod around the top that the head sits directly on. Um, that's got a nice old school sound to it as well. And then the uh, the good time rims gonna say that. <laughs> uh, are just three ply soft maple on the good time good time two, um, and then the special is a steel tone ring uh, developed around 2010. Yeah, it's a similar shape as the Eagle two, mm -hmm. just different metal. Right, and that one's got some good punch for a nice beginner instrument. It's got some great punch. I yeah. think so. To it. Like it's such a noticeable difference. So we, we we do have customers kind of calling up saying, "Hey, what do you what do you recommend?" And when you establish that they're trying to get into three finger style, and the good time and the good time two are great instruments to to get started out on. Um, if your intention is to kind of learn and sit at home and maybe not you know make that the big investment right off the bat, um, but if you know that you're end goal is to get into bluegrass and jamming and that kind of stuff. Um, and you, you know, you can't quite reach the heights of the Sierra just yet, budgetarily speaking. Special's great. Like it stands up so well in, a, in an acoustic setting um, for that little tone ring. Um, oh, it's a great festival, Lanjo, for jamming yeah, too, because yeah, you yeah. can backpack that all day without any worries. Yeah. And around the campfire, you let everybody know exactly what you're playing. Yeah, they're about seven pounds. Yeah, yeah. something like that. It's fantastic, yeah. Andrew. Yeah, yeah, really, really worth looking into. All right. Well, here's a question I hear um, a lot: is about putting Nile gut strings on your banjo. This is from Don. So it says, "Greetings. I've been thinking about putting Nile gut strings on either my Good Time Americana or Artisan Good Time. Is it feasible? And if so, what are your thoughts in general as to?" offering that as an option on some of your banjos or selling those types of strings. Thanks for the opportunity to ask. Um, I'll take it right at the top the, as in like a tonal perspective, it, you know, it, it would sound good. I, I think it's, it sound nice. It will sound very 
you know, it'll be a dark sound and, and a thicker sound, a fatter sound, but, uh, um, but, but it will have that sort of an old sort of tone that you might, might be going for. Um, but maybe Chad, you want to talk about some of the feasibility of this and what you would do if you're going to, what, what would you need to do? Just need to do to your banjo. We've done a, a few of these straight out of the factory. Yeah. Uh, and that the switchover is actually pretty straightforward. Um, our, our tailpiece construction is really nice. It lends itself well to just tying a knot and throwing those strings in there. Um, as far as keeping the head tension up and everything, it really <clears throat> now got responds a little bit better to uh, a little looser tension on the head. Uh, lets that bread bridge settle in. Uh, since we've started putting those smile bridges on everything, you need to make good contact with the bottom of that bridge to get a nice even tone across all the all the strings. Same because there's less tension in the right. nylon strings. That's your point. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We've also done fretless ones with the nail gut strings on it yeah. for the super old tiny folk. Those are definitely old. That, uh, yeah, yeah, that really even darkens it up more, but yeah. uh, tonal wise. They, they tie on, right? Yeah. You, you have to tie them onto the tailpiece. So, that, unlike most other strings that would be loop end or ball end, right. these, are, these are not. These are, is there any special technique there, or is it? The way I tie them, uh, there's 150,000 ways to tie not, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anything that will keep it from slipping. Uh, the way I tie it is a single overhand knot and then pass it once more through. So it's kind of a double wrapped overhand knot. Uh, once you cinch that up, it really kind of holds tight to the hook on the tailpiece. Uh, we also do offer a knotless tailpiece, we call it, yeah. which is our kind of nod to the old school no-knot tailpieces. Um, it uh, it works really well for, for tying off those strings as well. So you don't have to keep them underneath the feet of the standard uh, tailpiece. And so putting it under the standard tailpiece, it doesn't have any chance of cutting into it, like snapping that nylon gut there? No, our, our tailpieces are pretty well deburred. They're, they're nice and smooth all the way around. I haven't seen them really chafing or ripping the strings apart as they pull through the feet. Okay. Yeah, we what about ukes as well, right? So it's the same same principle as the ukuleles, and we we've been doing those for yeah. six years. Yeah, correct. Yeah. No, yeah, no, no issues there at all. Same same principles. Yeah. Do you yeah, have to change the nut slots though, and the bridge slots for the mm -hmm. nail gut? Yeah, it's definitely a good idea to widen those out to the to the gauge of the strings you're using, uh, for sure. Otherwise, you get uh, kind of weird buzzing going on, as well as on the bridge end where the strings will start popping out of the slots, uh, a nice corner nine, you know, file would work well for opening those up on the bridge. Um, the nut really needs to be taken into someone with nut slotting files to get honed in. I wouldn't try to use any kind of random implements to open those up. <laughs> Bad things will happen and you'll have to send it in for a nut replacement. So. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, you can order them to be, you know, if you're ordering a new banjo and wanted to have them have nylon strings, we have done that and we do do that as an option, but it, it would need to be specially communicated. And for anybody asking, we are using Aquila yes. strings right yeah. now. Um, we use those on the ukuleles and they make uh, 
and I've got banjo string sets as well. So check those out. Very good. Um, here's a question from Dean in the chat. Um, any, any of y'all can take this one. Would y'all, would you consider making a dulcimer banjo, a banjo with a dulcimer fretboard? It would be a nice way to introduce the banjo sound to folks who can't dedicate the time needed to learn the banjo. That is for you. (laughs) I mean, can I just pop in with something? I don't, most people don't know this, but the first several years of Deering Banjo Company from before I was born to early when I was born, we actually did make dulcimers. My, my foot, we still have one at home. And so it's funny that that question would come up. (laughs) I've worked on a few over the years. Uh, Would we consider it? We consider anything at Deering Banjo Company. This is, (laughs) this is what keeps us, uh, in the away, awake at night. Yeah. That, 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 uh, I don't know. That That's definitely something. How many people want one? Down the road. But, uh, Tell us in the chat, would you buy a dulcimer banjo? And uh, maybe this will be the deciding factor. Yeah. We'll have the results at the end. Uh, yeah. we. I mean, Deering has made, it's, it's kind of living on catering to everybody's sound. We, we don't try to sit in one box and demand that that's the only thing that's played on the banjo. We've done, you know, 12 string banjos. We did a seven string banjo once, uh, which was something special. How did that work? What was that? That was a six string banjo with a fifth peg sticking off the uh, side of it. Oh, that's not what I thought yeah, it was. Going yeah. Right. I uh, remember that. It was, uh, it was interesting. All seven tuners were on the peg head and it had a little tube tunnel from the fifth peg you know, uh, all the way up through the, to the, uh, coming up the middle of the peg head. Yeah. Into the, is there a central tuna? Like, right. Was it the, going was, out the back? Yeah. Yep. It was, uh, and, and it was all planetary tuners just to confuse ah, the situation so, even more. It's a lot of knobs. It there, was man. great. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we do all kinds of tenors and plectrums and mm-hmm. five strings, six strings, long necks, long necks. They're all, they're all banjos. They all deserve love. We make them because somebody wants to play them and we appreciate it. So mm-hmm. that's a good question. Sticking along the, the new product development theme. Um, we have a question. Have you ever considered making Deering branded D tuners, Keith style? Ah. tuners? I'd take a ah. set for sure. They say <laughs> <laughs> we were just talking about tuners. Yeah, we, we've, 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 we've uh, daydreamed about making our own tuners. It's, it's more of a process than you would guess at mm-hmm. first looking at it. It's a lot different than some of the more basic, you know, tuners on other instruments. So as of right now, it's not on the horizon, but it's something we're always looking at because we would like to see more American made tuners. So we're not reliant on shipping and all that disaster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think if anything, just kind of going back to that earlier question about supply chain, right? Like yeah. This whole 18 months has, has taught, if anything, taught us that not everything is always going to be available. So what can we make in-house? What can we do ourselves? Right. And there's certainly things that some you know that we can, and there's maybe some things that we can't. But yeah. it's all open for discussion. I, I know. I've talked with Greg several times on tuners. He's, he's wanted to make his own for a long time, yeah. and it's uh, – like Jamie said, a lot more involved than people would give it credit for, especially in the planetary world. I mean, worm, worm-driven gears are uh, rather simple compared to a planetary system. And having the locking features like the uh, Keith tuners do adds 
incredible amounts of complexity above that. So uh, someday we'll get there. Yeah. Uh, but not until then, right we're now. happy to support Keith Tuners. Absolutely. <laughs> we do tuners. order from yeah. them for when people request it. Absolutely. There's just some things that people do better than we do. That's why we don't make our own strings. Not, yeah. like that. not many. <laughs> not many. Not but many. I'm saying I'm saying just strings and maybe some fret wire. Maybe some fret everything wire. else. Yeah. We, our own heads. We don't make heads. But that's okay. Well, we've worked with Rima on redesigning yeah, we heads. We did do that. Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> Follow up question. The same person from uh, M. Kennedy is, is: What magic do you imbue on my banjos? They are unbelievably good. A rustic wreath and a good time Americana. Oh, that's really nice. Thanks. Greg's magic. Greg's magic. <laughs> <laughs> lots of uh, lots of banjo sawdust. It's kind of like uh, fairy dust, but it's better because it's all the banjo dust. Yeah. Kind of coats the the banjo as it comes through the factory, <laughs> whether it's intended or not. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, also, all, everyone we have working here really uh, have a great team out back doing all the work. They're, they're, they're excellent craftsmen and craftswomen uh, that really pay attention to the details and uh, understand the level that Deering expects and the level our customers expect, really. Because um, without, without that expectation, we would be complacent. And uh, yeah. our, our customers keep us honest. They, they let us know when we start slipping a little bit and we go out and fine tune everything again. Uh, we try not to rest too much on our laurels of how good we think we are. Uh-huh. And really everyone that, that puts time into the banjo really adds a lot of care to it, make sure it's correct. Yeah, that's very well put. Also, there's an aspect that not everyone knows unless you've been here, but we're one building in Southern California and the raw wood comes out, comes in and it comes out through the entire process in this one building as a banjo. So we don't get parts that are pre-made and shipped to us and then put together or anything like that. It's all right here in one building. And that, that is not everybody. And at the level that we make, like for the good times to be able to do that here is, is a big deal. It's not, you know, the easiest thing in the world uh, to do in America, but it's important to us to be American made and to, to have it done under one roof. Yeah. Yeah. Here's a, uh, just a, a kind of maintenance question. How often should I oil the fretboard? That's a real common question. It is a very common question. Uh, it comes down to a couple things. One, where, where do you live? Uh, what, what's your, what's your change in climates? If you go from, you know, long periods of time where it's uh, very dry, uh, you need to oil it a little bit more frequently. Uh, I suggest cleaning and then oiling. Don't just keep slapping what oil, oil on it. What oil would We use uh, linseed oil leaving the factory, um, just a good boiled linseed oil. Uh, we do, uh, I think, on our website have the uh f1, f1 oil, oil just from uh music nomad mm-hmm. which, is a, which yeah. is a really good um option as well and he has a great uh, fingerboard cleaner as well um but i recommend with linseed oil sealing it um every couple of years seems to be okay uh older uh, deerings before we switched to linseed oil which was probably about 10 years ago uh, before that we used almond oil those fingerboards uh, 
I would oil every six months, probably. That they don't seal and dry out as much. Uh, the oil doesn't seal and dry as, as well as the uh, linseed oil does. What are the telltale signs for anyone who doesn't know what they're looking for? Like, what's on it? when? Yeah, on, on when. when. Yeah. yeah, I mean, is it there are obvious signs on a on an ebony board, for example, that they'll be like, ah, that's what yeah, Chad told me to do. You kind of get a really dull, dusty kind of look to the to the ebony. It doesn't have that brightness and shine to it anymore um and on the unbound fingerboards you can start feeling the frets start poking out almost of, on the edges of the fingerboard uh, when that happens that means the fingerboard's kind of contracting and needs some some good moisture and lubrication to bring it back to life and and send it back to uh, its normal shape I had a lot of those calls Around about April and May of 2020. Yeah. When, when, <laughs> when everyone was getting their when banjos out. When people started out. pulling their banjos back out, having not played them for a year or two, and they're like, wow, my, my frets are really sharp. Yeah. Yeah, that's and how Daring Life started. Yeah. That's how Daring Life started. I just want to explain that. And the, to clean the fingerboard, uh, strongly recommend the uh, the fingerboard cleaner that Music Nomad uh, sends us. It's really good stuff. Uh, but some good 4 aught steel wool. Give it a good scrub and get all that... Uh, no offense to anybody out there, but fingerboard grime, uh, finger finger grime. It's true. Off of the frets. It's a thing. Yeah, and off the ebony before you oil it. Yeah. Otherwise, it starts to turn real gummy and sticky, mm. and that makes playing no fun. And pay attention to the frets while you've got that steel wool. Yes. Go over the frets as well and try and get the shine back into them. It's going to make your playing a lot more uh, noticeably different, better. So go for it. And if you live in a humid climate like like I do in New Orleans, I, you don't really have to worry about the oiling the fingerboard, or do do I? Uh, it's important to still oil it every couple of years uh, or every year just to keep it uh, sealed, because um, everybody's skin has you know uh, different acid amounts to their to their oil in their their hands. Um, some people, like I'm fortunate. Uh, I can handle nickel plated parts all day long and not leave any marks. Other people look at it and they, they leave corrosive fingerprints on there. Um, so for longevity or your frets, as well as uh, a clean, smooth fingerboard, it's good to clean it and, and oil them at least once a year, I'd say. A few other setup questions. How, uh, um, how often should one replace the bridge and how can you tell if it's needed? Hmm. big questions um the bridge uh the smile bridges that we're using now we'll call them smile because they have a nice curve on the bottom of the uh the, the bridge where it meets the head uh last quite a bit longer than the old school flat bridges uh, one thing most important to look for is kind of sight down the side of the ebony on the top of the bridge if you see any kind of sag to that ebony replace it First and foremost, if it's starting to sag, um, that means the bridge is starting to break down and not, and it's not, no longer relaying the response of the strings into the head. That, that wood is starting to deteriorate and it needs uh, needs new wood to put them. That's the first thing I tell people to look for on bridge replacement. Um, how often, it all depends on how often you play, how well you maintain the rest of the banjo, keep the head up to tension. Um, if you let the head loosen too much, 
uh, and don't keep that tight on a regular basis, uh, that bridge starts breaking down a lot faster. So just make make checking that part of your kind of routine maintenance, maybe when you're doing a string change or something, yeah. just slide down, make sure it's all good. If you're taking the bridge off, like in this this guy's very popular string change video. Mm -hmm. um, very good one. It's a very good one. Soon to be reshot, right, Jonathan? Yes. Um <laughs> And uh, he, you know, if the, if the strings are off the bridge, you can take like a flat rule or anything like that is square and flat and just put it on top. And sometimes you can see a real noticeable gap that isn't as obvious with a naked eye until you put something on it and go, whoa, it's got a real steep curve in it. And um, that, that's the first sign. DearingBanjos.com for your bridge needs. <laughs> as well as the technical videos on how to replace a bridge and strings. And set intonation. And stuff and yeah. others. Yes, all of the above. Hey, can we real Another, quick can, before yeah, we jump yeah. in the next one? Because speaking of of maintenance and whatnot, we got to give give a quick shout out to Mr. Chad for his for his new piece of merchandise available at DearingBanjos.com. For those who haven't seen it, he's got his own T-shirt, ladies and gentlemen. Can we bring it up? There it is. <laughs> Pretty sweet. Apparently, like a Podic School of Banjo. So rad. Engineering. They're going available quickly in a multitude of colors, right, Jonathan? Uh huh. Every color. All the colors. Go check it out. They're, they're amazing shirts. We, we've honored him, emblazoned him on a shirt. Yep. Beard and, and amazing hair and everything. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, Chad. Since you have your own shirt, then uh, how about answering <laughs> if, um, does it matter if in any way the head has that really used look, especially if the bridge is replaced regularly? Mm -hmm. Is it okay to have an old head on there? Does it, will it really... Or, uh, oh yeah. Um, the the nice thing about the banjo is the amount of personalization you can do for the tone. Um, if you have an old played-in head and you love the sound of it, don't touch it. Um, but heads, you know, do wear out, and they maximize at a certain point uh, how far you can adjust them. And once it bottoms out where the heel meets the pot on the on the uh, neck attachment the head can only go so far right there once it hits that you kind of have to replace the head but uh we've had plenty of banjos come in for repair where the frosting is played through or even on fiber skin the fibers played through all the way down to the melamine underneath um or the mylar sorry uh where where the customer requests do not touch my head do not call me with a replacement option. I've worked hard to make it look like I play this every day. Uh, so really, it's a it's a personal preference. If you like a nice, shiny, clean head, DearingBanjos.com. Are we still on, John? We are. I can hear you, but we can can't see you. Okay, we can carry on. While we so carry on. Uh, um, yeah, so if you, if, you like the, uh, if you like the way the head looks, have at it. There's nothing wrong with a uh, a played head. A well played head is often a badge of honor. So, all right, we're gonna look at Dave for a little while. Okay, yeah, it's something just went out. Let so me make sure I can still hear you. But um, and let's see, Jamie or Jamie, um, Niels Lost Larson is asking. Hi, just out of curiosity, how many banjos do you produce a year? All the best. In excess of, should we give the actual number or the fake number? 
Nah, I'm <laughs> uh, so in, in the realm of around what eight thousand? Yeah, yeah, it's, it it um, ranges between seven to eight five. Yeah, yeah. that includes the good times, the daring, the upper line, everything. Yeah, yeah that uh, would be our average. Thirty-five to forty a day. We use this factory. Uh, obviously, more of the good times than the daring daring lines, but uh, it's a lot of banjo. Yeah. And uh, every day we're we're amazed and very happy that this many people are are requesting them. Yeah, we uh, are very close to two hundred thousand. Right. Yeah, a few years ago we did one hundred and fifty thousand, but we're we're getting close. So I'm sure we'll do some kind of special celebration. Yeah, a special Sierra, didn't we, for a hundred? Hundred thousand, is that right? Yeah. The early instruments mm -hmm. that we've been. Man, that was like yeah. Just after I joined the company. I, I know. It's <laughs> a long time ago. Um, let's see, Jamie Laddie. Um, this person's having trouble finding a Deering dealer. What would you What would you say to them? Trouble finding a Deering dealer. Okay, so. Um, first things first, if you haven't already, DeeringBanjos.com, up in the top navigation, there is a dealer finder. Um, you can tap in your zip code, choose a radius, and try and find somewhere near you. Um, the best way to do it is that way. Now, if you're, it depends on also what you're looking for. If you're looking for a good time banjo, you shouldn't have too much uh, trouble finding someone stocking Deering Banjos. Um, there's, there's the dealer locator right there. Perfect. Um, there's, there's an abundance of dealers. I think we have something 350 dealers around the world, most of which are in the U S. Um, if you are having trouble finding someone near to you, or if you're looking something for something a little, maybe higher end, like a Calico, they're not going to be in every store. Um, a lot of them can order on your behalf. That's no problem. Um, but I also wouldn't kind of discount the possibility of exploring like a banjo.com or a banjo studio or an elderly instruments um, that may not be near you, but in 2021 going into 22, um, most of these guys offer just exceptional service as far as uh, being able to kind of return if you don't like it or, or um, you know, put down a down payment or whatever it is you need to do. They're very flexible. It's not like the old days of just once you get it, you just stuck with it. Um, they can normally work something out with you. So I wouldn't discount those guys either if you don't have anybody near you. But there should be plenty. Um, and I think just if you if you really are having trouble, uh, just hit, hit us up at info at deeringbanjos.com um, and then uh, we'll help you out with that. All right. Um, this question, Kent, has a, um, is wondering, what has been the feedback on all the Oak models? Do they hold up to heavy plane, et cetera? Uh, have at it. You you hear more direct from <laughs> the customers than um, extremely positive. We put out um, a few oak models at the same time. Uh, we spoke about the white lotus earlier on, um, which kind of serves a, a very different kind of very specific point, which is like three finger starts a resonator banjo. At the same time, we put out um, two or three Vega open back banjos, um, and they have all been extremely popular um for different reasons though so i think the white lotus and just because there really isn't that many lightweight options for banjo and so um that's a really really good option for the three finger player um who doesn't really want to kind of sacrifice on tone um 
the open back Vegas kind of served a bit of a different purpose because they were already fairly lightweight. So that wasn't really the factor. It just really lent itself well to a very robust uh, tone. So when you look at the Vega line in the white oak models, um, the only other one that doesn't have a tone ring is the old time wonder and the little wonder. Um, and there's a big difference between the two. If you take a ma all maple rim little wonder versus an 11 inch white oak, the white oak just seems to be a bit more robust in its sound is a bit more sustained. Um, we have one, uh, Rick Barron, one of our artists, was one of the first guys to have one, and he just absolutely fell in love with it. There's a really good video on the, the product page on that particular banjo as to why uh, he loves it so much. But yeah, very popular. Then we released the Vintage Star, and that seems to have kind of taken over, taken over as far as the open back side, as far as we're concerned. And so the White Oak um, is certainly in the, in the court of the White Lotus right now. Yeah, and my... My, I say my dad, I could also say Greg Deering. Um, ha he has one of the original ones that we built and he has taken that literally all over Kingdom Come, camping, everything, and it's in great shape. He His favorite wood now for banjos is white oak. <laughs> he loves it. So pretty much anything he makes for himself is now white oak. Yeah. yeah any I've seen come back in for minor adjustments and repairs have been uh, in wonderful shape. Oak is, I mean, traditionally a very robust wood by itself, you know, used in furniture and houses for many, many years. So mm -hmm. it's a great, great, robust wood. Uh, fantastic for travel because it's uh, lightweight and and uh, easy easy on the ears. <laughs> on the wooden ears. Oh, Ooh. see what you did there. Dot yeah. com for your earring needs. <laughs> Well done, um, John. You got us back up online. Hey, yeah, it's good to deal with back there. Um, here's a question from Kathy, um, Kathy P. Um, and I'll take the top of it. I have a Sierra banjo. It seems like the fifth string is always louder than the other strings and sounds off. No matter how much I tune it, it never helps. Any suggestions? Well, the first thing I think there's two parts on there. There's there's a play. There's a plain technique part and there might be a banjo setup. So the technique part, the thumb is naturally a stronger finger. So naturally the thumb, which will be playing the fifth string, it's going to be playing harder. So you want to play slowly and really practice having, trying to make, and it's a different pick than it's than, than the other picks. And it has a plastic pick and the other fingers are metal picks. So they naturally sound different. Um, and you really want to work hard at trying to make the thumb and the fingers sound the same, no matter what string you're playing. And so just play slowly and play with a light touch, really practice as light a touch you can while still getting the full sound out of it. The best players in the world all have very light touches, um, but they're getting an extremely um, big sound. Um, and then there might be a little bit of setup, a question that you want to take, Chad, if you want to dial back that 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 tone. Yeah, if 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 your string is sounding off, uh, of course, first thing I would look at is uh, one head tension, making sure the head's tight. Uh, without a good tight head, um, if it's too loose, you can't intonate properly. It's just so sloppy in the movement of the head that the bridge placement kind of becomes unmanageable. Um, so first always is make sure that head is, is 
pretty snug. Uh, and second is uh, checked intonation. The bridge placement is just as important as the fret placement on the neck. Um, unfortunately, the uh, bridge isn't set like a fret. It moves around and needs to be uh, properly placed. Uh, we did a good video on that, on our uh, on how to intonate the banjo, because it is a uh, common thing that needs to be checked yeah. and, and maintained. So making sure that bridge is exactly where it needs to be will uh, hopefully help solve some of that problem. Very good. Yeah. Um, here's another question. Did you, Amy, did you, did you have something? I, I was just going to say, we're, we're coming to the top of the hour, just so you know. And I know that a few of us have uh, appointments and whatnot. So I don't want to just okay. want to make sure that uh, we're all good. Well, yeah, let's start to, we'll start to wrap it up. Um, let me, let me run into this question real quickly. That I started this, uh, this person is talking about putting their banjo away for a while. And if they need to loosen the strings or anything to, uh, so that you don't damage the neck. Um, if it hasn't, if let's say they're going, on vacation for a couple months and they're going to touch the banjo. Do they, do they need to do anything special to the instrument? I'd suggest it on a, on a good time banjo. So you, you drop in the strings a bit. Um, All right. Whoop. We lost the sound. We lost the audio of, of Chad now, but, um, well, we're having, a, so we are at the top of the hour. So maybe I will start to, I don't know if you, can y'all hear me? Give me a thumbs up if you can hear me. All right. Well, we lost the audio and we are at the top of the hour and everybody has some appointments they have to get to, but this has been great. We should do this again. We have a lot more questions to get through and a lot in the chat. Sorry, we couldn't get to them all. Um, but, but keep asking them and we'll, we'll write them down and we'll, we'll do this again sometime soon. Cause it's been good. Um, Thank you, everybody, for coming. Um, thanks, Jamie Deering, Chad Kapodic, Jamie Laddie, Jonathan Fraser. And uh, and um, next week, we have Mike Munford. That's going to be a great one. He's a fantastic five-string, uh, three-finger style player and uh, plays with Frank Sullivan and Dirty Kitchen. And he's also a very good um banjo setup person he's one of the top setup people so um come with your questions for for mike munford and come listen to him play next week um next thursday same time uh thursday the 11th that's 6 p.m eastern so again thanks everybody for coming and and uh we'll see you next week <laughs>